What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome to a special Saturday episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. First time ever, Jim Garrity of NationalReview.com is with me. Jim, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing great. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank you for being here. Um, First thing, it's been a couple days. I know you're a Jets fan, Jim. Um, The Jets have been in the news for a multitude of reasons lately, and um, some dealing with ownership some uh with the fact that they traded jamal adams some with whether or not they were going to do that some with are we sure sam darnold is actually good where are you at with uh the new york jets and this football season yeah i mean i guess first and foremost i'm hoping that there is a football Mm. season uh at this point i'm cautiously optimistic um, I'm a casual baseball fan. I probably go to about one national game a year. And, but once they started playing about, I guess about a week and a half ago now, I was thrilled, uh, and took a whole new interest in part because it was just nice to see live sports again. And also, okay, if baseball can pull this off, then the chances of the NFL being able to pull this off are probably good too. If baseball can't having rosters with, you know, what is it, 45 guys and mm. practice squads and, and, you know, guys crashing into each other. I know it always has looked like the Jets cornerbacks are socially distancing from the receivers, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, always at least six feet away when the pass is thrown. But, uh, uh, you know, that, that you know, if baseball and, and basketball and hockey to a lesser extent can't make this work, then it's going to be very tough to see football this fall. And as frustrated as everybody is, I think a year without any football would be probably even more depressing than the current circumstances. So my first hope is that they have a season. I think so far it's, they will, although I wouldn't be surprised if you had – some interruption to the season in some way. We may not have a full season. We've, you know, 82 and 87, the seasons were interrupted by strikes. And so, you know, this, this may be one, one of those kinds of years. Are we um, sure America can handle a no football season? Because this is something that I thought yeah. about, like when the lockdowns first started and sports got canceled, something I was telling friends where I was like, I think Americans can live without basketball for a couple months. They can live without baseball. They can live without soccer. They can live without hockey. If you start canceling football games this fall, especially in the South, especially with just how much of our fall Saturdays geared are just geared around football season, then it's just like you think there's unrest right now. The unrest of waking up on a Saturday or Sunday morning knowing that football is just not there. I I I mean, just I'm already nervous about the cultural psychology for so many different people right now. But I, I don't know if Americans can actually handle that. Like, it, it's hard to explain to other p- people from other countries about this, but I don't think Americans can handle it. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I mean maybe the comparison to other countries, because a lot of countries are, are soccer. Crazy. Right. I know what they call it, football, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the, we have, I, and by the way, like, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan uh, certainly not a fan of the violence we've seen in these protests related to George Floyd, and now it's kind of you know turned into a mishmash of all kinds of of lefty causes. But on the other hand, let's start recognize we don't have sports. Think about how many people just want sports is part of how they deal with life, right? This this is you know this is their entertainment. This is their they're living vicariously through their teams. This is a part of their identity, and it's been yanked away from them. 
and not replace. And oh, by the way, you can't go to the movies. You can't go to any of your usual haunts, whether it's restaurants, bars. Uh, if you go to a park, you're not supposed to, you know, get together in any large groups. You're not supposed to go to concerts. Um, you know, for from about mid March on, the the you know people and the, the health experts and local officials have said you can't do any of these things that you usually do. And then shortly after Memorial Day, when George Floyd was killed, and many people were understandably and more than justifiably outraged about that. The, the message was sent pretty clearly, well, okay, if you need to go out, you can go out to a George Floyd protest and nothing else, right? So when I see like huge crowds coming out to these George Floyd protests, you're just going to recognize that is the only place you're allowed to interact with people without any, you know, if not local officials, then some Karen jumping out from behind a bush and, you know, wagging mm. her finger at you. Or a Jake um, Paul party. Yeah, you know, and, and, well, that's the thing is, you know, those are, those are uh, you know, strongly uh, disapproved of. And so just, I mean, I'm, you know, I am, uh, you know, now in my mid forties, mm. lucky enough to find somebody very special, and I, you know, we've been living a, you know, challenging but generally blissful domestic life here. If you're a young person, you want to go out on a date. You know, how do you do that in the age of the coronavirus? How do you meet people? How do you, you know, all of your traditional social venues in which you might meet someone have been kind of cut off from you during this. And so, this one of me is like, I when I see these people. Um, going out in large numbers. Thankfully, most of them are wearing masks. Yeah. Not everybody. You know, you look at the pictures, you see some folks who have it below their nose. Most protesters yeah. are wearing masks and most are yeah. being careful. And the other thing that helps is just being outside. The The difference between yeah, being exactly. outside versus being inside People is People are moving thing. around. Mm. Air currents are moving around. Uh, you know, I, in my writing for NR, I tried to make the point because I was looking at this very early on. It is not accurate to say that the protests have had zero influence on in spreading the coronavirus, and mm. it is not accurate to say that they are the main spreaders, I think, by comparison, yeah. bars, restaurants, indoor locations. It turns out there's like nuance, Jim, that uh, there exactly. may be yeah, a little bit of a lot. There might be a lot going on there and that it's okay to parse through stuff and yeah. to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, look, and because a lot of people really want to hammer this into, the protests are good, ergo, there cannot be any risk from spreading the crap. Right. Or the protests are bad. Ergo, all of the uptaken cases must be related back to, you know, like... My thing is, like, I'm for it, but, like, I, I think yeah. it's okay to be for it and also be nervous about it and nervous about the spread yeah. and nervous about it and just thinking about things that go on with it. Like, I think it's okay to have both of those lines of thought. Yeah. So, you know, early on, um, Anthony Fauci made a comment along those lines, and I noticed it didn't get quite the coverage of all of his other comments he's made. So, but we've come very far afield from football. Uh, so no, this is, I told you, Jim, this is very conversational. Yeah, yeah. You never know where we're going to go on this podcast. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Woody Johnson, so I, I would say I, I started going to games with my dad in New Jersey mm. uh, back in about 1985. And the Jets were very good in 85 and 86. This was the Ken O'Brien throwing to Wesley Walker and Al mm. Um my, my preferred style of, of football is the old AFC. No defense. Nobody bothers running. Almost arena football. Like, no okay. long bombs. So, you know, um, so you're watching time. a lot of so, Hawaii you know, Rainbow that, Warrior games on Saturday nights. You got it. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, um, so that's that's what got me into this, and I remember Leon Hess, who was the old owner of the Jets, the owner of the Hess uh, Oil Company and gas stations. And uh, you know, the Jets have never had kind of that. You know, they're, they're not the Roonies, they're not the Maras, um, they're not one of these owners that is you know largely, and they're not certainly. I've never had a larger than life Jerry Jones type. The upside is we don't have a Dan Snyder type uh, yeah. as our owner either. You know, guy playing who thinks he's playing fantasy football. Um, Woody Johnson, who's been a you know big donor to Republicans for many years, probably much more of the Jeb Bush establishment uh, you know type of uh, mm-hmm. preferences, um, jumped on board with Trump when he won the nomination, and Trump made him the U.S. ambassador to the United Kingdom. Um, as up until very recently, my sense was that he was doing okay in that position. We just weren't hearing very much about him, good or bad. And then there were some reports that he had made some uh, comments that had really rubbed some people the wrong way. Um, and the uh, possibility that he'd either pushed or nudged or hinted that Trump really wanted the British Open at his golf club that he owns. And, Which is uh, not surprising the British, in the slightest. Not, oh, I mean, that, that's totally in fit in keeping right. Trump. And if you're Woody Johnson, I think there's, a, you know, if you make it as an official request of the U.S. government, then it's this giant, you know, red flashing sign. You should not do this. Mm. If you mention it to your British counterparts, yeah, Trump said he'd love to have the British Open at his, his golf course someday. I don't know if that's necessarily a, you know, um, flashing neon sign. Like, you know, 
Is it a little bit of a conflict of interest? Maybe. Are you relaying a request from the president? Sure. I mean, like, you know, most presidents recognize they can't use the Oval Office to, you know, promote their business interests. Trump has never grasped this. Right. And Trump has never understood. Yeah, and this is like, well, it's, again, and I don't know how much you blame Woody Johnson for do that, because what, would it be great for Woody Johnson to say, Mr. President, relaying that request would be inappropriate and I refuse to do it? Fine. Trump would fire him. And, yeah. you know, would we be better off or would we be worse off? I don't know. Anyway, just because so he did that one, which is, you know, not reflect, covering himself in glory. And then the other thing he's also is just that, not a good uh, NFL owner. Like he's just a bad owner. He's a bad yeah. like just yeah. judge of talent. He's a bad evaluator. He hires a lot of like he's he's just not a good NFL owner. Yeah. Early on, I had thought he was going to be fine because he seemed like a very hands off owner. Mm-hmm. And having seen the cases of owners who yeah, I mentioned, you know, Snyder is probably the prototypical example of this. The idea of the guy who's made a lot of money in some other profession unrelated to football, who then says, "Well, clearly this illustrates that I'm a genius in all things." Yeah. And therefore, I know which which person should be quarterback, and I know which calls, which plays we should be calling, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, I figure that's the single most harmful kind of owner. But hands-off owners can be pretty bad too. Now we should point out that Woody Johnson turned over ownership and control of the team to his brother Christopher Johnson, uh, who seemed Johnson, a lot better, right? Like Christopher Johnson, yeah, I mean, it's really, like really a better owner. No, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and that, uh, but you know, the, the biggest and most consequential point was that you know when. Uh, Todd Bowles, uh, two years ago, they, they decided to let him go. I think the team was like four and twelve. It was pretty clear they were things were, were five, five and eleven. It was clear this team was not going anywhere. I didn't hate Todd Bowles, but I felt like he was a good defensive coordinator who had proven to not be a great um, uh, head coach, mm. uh, who was clearly outsourcing most of the management of the offense, and who. Um, and by the way, the other thing, which is, you know, your interactions with the media and your personality are not the single most important measuring stick of a coach. That and having been said, that. well, yeah, you know, <laughs> but, you know, that having been said, if my team is not going to have a, I, I'd love to see my team win. If my team is not going to win, at the very least, if I've got a Herm Edwards, you know, you play to win the game mm-hmm. or a Rex Ryan type. At least that. At least that keeps me interested, right? Yeah. You know, it's one thing to be bad and kind of entertaining, another thing to be bad and boring. And I hate to say it, but Todd Bowles, as a coach, was not successful and had a personality that made Bill Belichick look like the life of the party. And uh, yeah. that's you know. So but we really don't care at the end. Like Mike Zimmer has no personality whatsoever, but he's mm-hmm. the second best Vikings coach of all time already. Like he's, he's going yeah, worst yeah, case scenario every year. I wrote about it where he got the extension and it's just like he worst case scenario. He's going nine and seven. Like that's still a great yeah. thing to be. That's a great place to be top 10 defenses every that, year. You yeah. know what you're getting. So there is something to be said about stability. Of, uh, yeah. If, if you win, people overlook a lot of other flaws. You mm-hmm. have, you know? um, and then, yeah, we, we bring in Gase. Gase had been on the list. And I've come on, they're never going to hire Gase. Gase had been. Oh, do you know why, though? Do you remember why they hired Adam Gase? Well, the argument was is that uh, at that point, Mike McKagan, the general manager, mm-hmm. wanted to have basically veto power over which existing coaches you know, would be hired. And not a single other coach liked the idea of, you know, most coaches, particularly if you're good, like, no, I'm going to hire my guys. I yeah. want my offensive coordinator that I want. I want my defensive coordinator. I don't care if the GM doesn't like them. You know, you want me to come in and save this franchise, and you got you know, it's a paraphr- it's a paraphrasing um, uh, almost Bill Parcells with his complaint about the Patriots. If you want me to cook the meal, you got to let me buy the groceries, which was his argument for why he needed you know authority over per- player personnel decisions. You know, uh, the, the, it was a the Jets having you know really looking having not had you know made the playoffs in years and years. Really, we beggars should not necessarily be choosers, and that they needed a good coach, and yet they put on this ludicrous requirement that almost no other franchise would ever, you know, uh, make of its applicants. Gates was willing to live with it, and nobody else was. And you know, the experience of Bill Belichick indicates that you could be a coach who, on your first time around, didn't succeed, learns his lessons, reevaluates how he hand- how he handles things, tries to think through and say, okay, what was I doing wrong there? and come back on your second stint as a head coach and be much more successful. It can happen. There's just very little indication that Adam Gase is that guy, has that kind of personality, has done that kind of reflection or adjustment. And, uh, you know, yes, there were 7-9 and nine last year. That's nice to see. Let's point out a couple of those wins were um, 
you know, Buffalo was not competing that last game of the year. The Steelers had none of their regular starters in that next to last game of the year. They lost to Miami in one of the games. They lost to Cincinnati. I believe they're the only team that lost to Cincinnati last year. It was a very up-and-down year where we may have gotten some lucky breaks. And so I'd, I'd love to see the Jets be more successful this year. I think, to take us full circle, uh, the Jamal Adams trade indicates that uh, our new general manager, Joe Douglas, who I think has been making mostly the right decisions in stepping He's in, good. Yeah. is setting up the team for long-term success. And he recognizes that if there is a season, this is not going to be a great year for the Jets. But it, it's just so strange because I feel like this is a very important year for Darnold. Like, this is a very big year for him. And the up and down, like, we all made the jokes last year about Mono and everything else, but he's just not been good. And Josh Allen, um, I'm not a big Josh Allen guy, but his team wins, and they should be the favorite right now. And then you have Tua coming in. So if Tua really lights it up in Miami, and they really build off what they did at the end of last year, suddenly he's the odd man out in division and Jets fans are like wait do we like this is bad like if Baker has a big year or if um, we already know what Lamar has done and these are all opportunities the Jets had to take the other guy and they went with Darnold which would be very Jetsian but I I don't know I think this is a huge year for New York and I, I think it's a huge year for Sam but I'm I'm concerned I will say I'm concerned because I still right. don't think they have enough it offensive is, firepower yeah statistically he's done nothing special. I've seen people ranking out of the 32 starting quarterbacks. They usually put him in the mid to low 20s, yeah. which I think is a little harsh. Um, but I would observe, see what you, you're, you draft your rookie quarterback and you, you know, he looks like the, the golden boy and you're totally excited and all that kind of stuff. Most teams put a lot of effort into trying to put their rookie quarterback in a position to win. The Jets have done a terrible job of this for the past two years. Uh, his rookie season, the offensive line was not good. Last year, the offensive line, I think, was arguably the worst in the league. It was terrible. He was very little. They went out and got Le'Veon Bell, but this team could not run block. And there were a whole bunch of plays where I saw it be a handoff to Le'Veon Bell. Two guys would be in the backfield. Le'Veon Bell would make one guy miss. They would make the second guy miss. And then the third guy would stop him so he'd have a one-yard game. Uh, it was just a... A situation in which there was, you know, you could tell every play, Le'Veon Bell was giving 110% effort, but there's only so much you can overcome with that. Um, he was killed with penalties. I mean, he was starting on first and 15 or first and 20 uh, with false starts and, and, you know, illegal procedures, too many men on the field, just one stupid penalty after another. And then he'd have play passes dropped. Um, now, I, again, you know, if you have a rookie quarterback or a young quarterback and you want to put him in a position to succeed, you try to pass protect. You try to have a good running game, so you set up, you know, second and four instead of second and you know twelve, uh, and then you try to have your, your your receivers to at least give him you know a little bit of help. And that did not happen last year. So I'm really looking for, assuming there's a season this year, I'm really looking forward to see what is Sam Donald like with an offensive line where he's not got somebody in his face every third play. And I think it'll be good. Now, the, off, the, the trade-off there is that while the Jets have made a bunch of steps to improve the line, Robbie Anderson side with the Carolina Panthers. Um, the idea of Teddy Bridgewater and Robbie Anderson could do quite a bit of damage for the, uh, uh, you know, for the, the Panthers down there. And I just don't know what this off. I mean, you, you look at this and you're like, okay, you know, you got Le'Veon Bell, you've got Herndon coming back as tight end. They had a pretty good year from this guy Ryan Griffin last year as a substitute. Um, Bell can, by the way, can line up as a as a wide receiver. And the few times they did it last year, they generally got you know nice big games out of that. Um, they had this guy Perriman from the Buccaneers, who I'm not really sold on, but he had a great you know late couple of games last year. And they drafted uh, Denzel Mims in the second round. Between all that, you should have the ingredients for a potent offense. Whether we'll see it is another story. And I think you're right. I think you know. It's not so much like would I prefer to see the team win a bunch of games? Of course, I think I'd rather just you know if if uh, if Darnold takes a big step, then great because honestly, in your third year, you pretty much know what you've got. You, you are what you are. There are other guys who've had late career renaissances. Sure, you know, Vinny Testaverde comes to mind. He was god awful his first couple. Neil O'Donnell, Jet Legend. Neil O'Donnell, right? I mean, you know, there are a bunch of guys who have not you know who, who took a while that the game kind of slows down for their mind. And we've seen plenty of nice plays from Sam Darnold. But generally, you know, I think it's safe to say he's not a guy who, like Lamar Jackson, is just going to blow apart the defense and, and be absolutely unstoppable. And he's not so far. We, we've seen some very nice games from him, and he has had some late-game drives to win and things like that. But, 
you know, Darnold needs help from people around him. And so far, the offense has done very little of that. And oh, by the way, the play calling by Adam Gase has not, and Dowell Loggins has not been creative or innovative or, or anything like that. The one hope there is I think the offensive line, they've done a really good job investing in the offensive line. And if he gets time, we just know what quarterback pass ratings are on average in a clean pocket versus under pressure. The weird thing with Darnold um, was his best attribute coming out of USC was that he was so good under pressure. Like that was his calling card is that this dude should be fine in any NFL offense right away because even if he plays behind a bad team with a bad O-line, he has shown in college that he can maneuver and he is actually really, really good under pressure. That is not translated. He's one of the worst under pressure quarterbacks in the NFL. So I, I haven't been able to figure out or read the right piece to understand why that has become a thing for him. But um, it is interesting uh, nonetheless. What um, if you, it, Let's just wrap up on the Jets here. If you had to guess, like we get a full season. I don't think we're getting a full season. I think certain teams are going to play 14. Certain teams are going to play 12. Like, I don't know. Like, the MLB stuff really, really scares me. If it was a bubble, yeah. I think they would get the – like, the NBA, I think, is going to be fine. The NBA is going to get through. I think NHL is definitely going to get through. I I don't know about these non-bubble studies right now. And I just – once we get to the fall and the second wave, I, I don't know. I have my doubts. I'm very dubious about it. Uh, which means I hate sports. I don't know if you saw us on Twitter <laughs> uh, or not, uh, Jim. But any sports writer who – is nervous about the season and whether or not we should be playing or anything like that means you hate good news and uh, you hate sports. Sports writers hate their yeah, own league. It, it's great. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where like the, the, this mentality has taken hold that if you share bad news, and, yeah, you know, from from the you know from the from the get go, I've been telling people, yeah, this is a this is a once a once a century problem we're dealing with, and you know, take it seriously. Um, yeah, you could you could get it and be asymptomatic. And, you know, you'll come through this fine. And by the way, I think for most, you know, most athletes are, are young men who are in the, you know, pinnacle of physical condition. Most of these guys are going to get through this just fine. But first of all, you know, some people have had, you know, besides the, very few people who are that young have died, but a couple have, you know. And the second thing is that this, right at least so far, we're seeing people who have fairly serious lingering health issues. Right. Now, maybe it goes away. Maybe it's, you know, maybe after, you know, six months, everybody feels like they're in full recovery. But if you're a professional athlete, the possibility of something that gives you slightly diminished lung capacity or recurring headaches or recurring, you know, neurologic, you know, there's a good reason. I'm not, I have no beef with any of these NFL players who are saying I'm opting out for this year because your body is how you make your living. And these guys are like, you know what, I can take off this year. I can take the financial hit, come back in 2021. But, you know, hopefully by that point, everybody's got a vaccine and we're all home free with this and they just want to dive right in. So, you know, I totally understand why professional athletes are not eager to continue in circumstances where there's still a chance that they could get this and they just don't know what the, you know, long-term effects would be. Yeah. I'm right there with you. And it makes the college arguments so complicated. And I, I don't know. I'm glad I'm not in a position of power. That's like one of my other things in these last few months is like, I'm glad I'm not making any decisions on any of this stuff because I, I don't envy the, the position that so many people uh, currently find themselves in and probably in over yeah. their head because uh no one knew how to plan for this they, i don't think that's in the uh just uh, in the job description for most people when they're taking these leadership roles they're like oh by the way here's what you do during a pandemic um when you look at current election polling right now jim we know what happened in 2016 certain things were off but still it was kind of overblown on how much people thought that polling was off because there were little indicators that this could happen and i mean nate silver um was kind of pushing that the last couple weeks leading up and also it's just really hard for a party to get three straight elections like it doesn't happen very often for a reason it's a lot easier to be the opposition party especially going after a two-term president um so we probably undervalued that a little bit but when you look at current data the places where especially where hillary lost um in 2016 what is what is your what, where, where do you feel right now with the 90 or so days until the election yeah look i i don't think there's any way to get around it that the outlook is pretty tough for president trump um i you know could i still imagine scenarios where he gets reelected? yeah sure you know we, we've got some stretch here although I, it is worth noting even separate from uh, the issue of the pandemic and the number of people who will want to vote by mail. Going back to 16, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but like something like 16 states had more than half of their ballots cast before Election Day. 
Hmm. We have election month. We don't have election day anymore. And that's yeah. even before you know this extra factor comes in. So if things are bad for Trump in early October, he may be SOL. There's not, there may not be an October surprise is not going to have the same effect it would in a normal circumstance because more and more ballots get cast earlier in October. Uh, but that having been said, look, it, it's not hard to see why the president would be, why the country would be down on the president. He's always had this abrasive personality. He's never, you know, he obviously famously lost the popular vote. His approval rating has never been, if it, if, it, if it hits 50%, it's a terrific day. And it's certainly never been anywhere near 60%. Um, he's always, you know, his personality has always been divisive. He's always been antagonistic towards, you know, everybody on the other side. He's, you know, to, to, to inverse George W. Bush, he's a divider, not a uniter, right? Um, and then... You know, the one argument that kept Trump uh, on a course for, for re-election, and I think, even, you know, before, you know, before this year, I think the chances of him winning a second term were actually looking pretty good, was the economy. A booming economy makes a lot of other problems very easy to forgive. And just like we said earlier, winning, you know, <laughs> it's easy, it makes a lack of personality uh, easier to deal with. Well, pandemic comes along. It hits the country real hard. I don't think the country blames the president for either the pandemic or the economic crash, but it does kind of raise the stakes for this presidency. And Trump has been largely the same personality he was after the pandemic hit than he was before the pandemic hit. He's, you know, jumping onto Twitter and raging and fuming and, uh, you know, well, people uh, love trolling. That. Oh, yeah, he is who he is. And that's not an easy sell. It's an easy sell when you're up against Hillary Clinton. Right. Although, again, we should not overestimate the, the margin of victory in, in 2016. And now he's up against Joe Biden, who I consider to be the political equivalent of Cheerios. Now, let's say you go Wait, to the so supermarket. What do you mean by that? Okay. So you, you, you're, let's say you're on vacation. Mm-hmm. You go to, you go to, you're in some new town. You go to the supermarket and you see a whole bunch of cereals. And you, you know, they got, you know, Fruit Loops and they got chocolate kind and they got healthy kind. There's a whole bunch. And then there's Cheerios. Mm. Now, I, I'm going to guess, are Cheerios your favorite breakfast cereal? Uh, I don't think I've had Cheerios since I was like middle school, maybe. And that was at my okay, grandmother's yeah. house. So right. I don't think they, I've ever actually not... had Cheerios in the house. All right. There you go. Most people are okay on Cheerios. Yeah. You'll eat them. They're, 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 they're nobody's favorite. But they know Cheerios. They yeah. know David Cheerios. Joe Biden is Cheerios. Okay. He's been around forever. Mm-hmm. People probably haven't really, they very rarely would be, he wouldn't be the first choice for a lot of folks, but everybody knows what they're getting. They're fine. They're, they're sometimes, you know, they're, they're edible. They're not, you know, he's, he's old familiar, right? That, that he's been around tell forever. tell somebody that. It's got to be weird as a candidate to like know that you're literally no one's first choice. Literally yeah. nobody. Like, I would be weirded out if I met someone who's was just like, yeah, I was on Joe from the beginning. Like, it was just, like, <laughs> that would be yeah. a really weird, I don't think the that Joe person Biden exists. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't think that person um, exists. And if they do, I don't, I have so many other follow-up questions and so much concern there. Yeah, earlier in the week, I'd, I'd read that, you know, if, if Joe Biden wins, which I think is a pretty likely outcome right now, mm. uh, he will have won the Democratic primary because he's not Bernie Sanders, and he will have won the general election because he's not Donald Trump. Um, which, on the one hand, you're like, hey, that's great. It gets me I think he's going to win because of, like, the whole uh, – this goes back to some Game of Thrones. I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones person. A person has no name. A girl has no name. Joe Biden has no name where I think this is yeah. his thing is that him just being in the shadows is going to win for him. Like he's going, he might win just because yeah. he's not around. Yeah. No, he'll pay a price for that once inaugurated because mm. he will at some point say, look, the American people voted for me because they wanted X, whatever his you know, mm. policy proposal he's pushing. And either Democrats in his own party or Republicans on Capitol Hill, at some point somebody's going to say, no, you were elected because you weren't Donald Trump. And he won't have that much of a mandate. He won't have that much of a uh, the political capital that you usually have in that situation. That's also fair. Um, That's more than enough. Isn't that crazy? Like in 2020, it's just like he's not the person who wakes up at 630 in the morning every day, pissed well, off at everybody. Like it's just, yeah, and, we're, we, we need a break. Like we can't do this anymore. Someone once said that there are only two basic themes in American politics. Mm. It is either it's time for a change or, you know, the beginning say there's three. Stay the course for those times when things are going great. I'm always thinking of, you know, Dana Carvey as George H.W. Bush. Stay the course. He's very good. Wouldn't be prudent, you know. Uh, and then, of course, there's either variations of either it's time for a change 
which is, you know, uh, you know, John F. Kennedy, the torch has been passed to a new generation, blah, blah, blah. Or it's, you know, a return to normalcy. And I, somebody made an interesting comparison earlier this week that's kind of been sticking in my head. The comparison of Donald Trump to one-time Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura. Okay. In which, right, he ran as an independent, shocked the world in 1998, I believe it was. Mm. And there was kind of, you know, it was, you know, independents or third-party candidates never win gubernatorial races. But at that point, you know, people in Minnesota were not happy with the Democratic choice, not happy with the Republican choice probably agreed with certain things that Jesse Ventura was saying, that, that he kind of, you know, channeled their irritation with the system and the sense that, He was also know, just extremely entertaining. Yes. Exactly. I watch any Jesse Ventura right? interview. Yeah. I'll watch any Jesse Ventura interview because that guy does not care. He will say whatever yeah. is on his mind. And I guess that's Trumpian too, but um, it comes well, off then, less you know, crazy and more entertaining Ventura to me. Ventura gets into office and lo and behold, the job of being governor can be hard. All <laughs> Who sudden, knew? It's not just, you know, right? Yeah. It, you know, you have to you pay attention to the details of policy. You have to, you know, you can't just pound the table. It's not about being entertaining. And over time, Jesse Ventura decided he wanted to be an XFL announcer. And, you know, by the time, by, well within, but, you know, as that first term rolled along, it became very clear that electing a um, gregarious, larger-than-life personality from media as governor didn't work out the way Minnesotans hoped because, no. in the end, he wasn't, he didn't really understand the job and didn't want to do the job as it need, yeah, as it needed to be done. But hey, there's no way we'd ever have that same lesson at the national level now, would we? <laughs> I, I don't larger think than we have. I really don't, Jim. Yeah. I think my what I suspect is we're gonna get like a Google president one in the next two, three presidential runs. Like it's gonna be I don't know if it's Bezos, I don't know if it's gonna be like literally Google president, whoever it is at that point. Like I I think that's coming. I think one of the tech giants oh, are going to. Really unnerving. Yeah. I, I want to tell you you're wrong, but I can't say, oh, that's completely unthinkable. Like, that's. Yeah. I, it's like this living, breathing embodiment of the, the you know, uh, I, I guess somewhat would argue neoliberal, uh, the technocra- technocracy, the managerial class, you know. You know, the, the ultimate manager for the, you know, for, to represent the managerial class. Which yeah. I, you know. Small government conservative does not really fill me with warm and fuzzy feelings. <laughs> no, I, I, I always get nervous about this because it's like I guess I have a very cynical, pessimistic view of where things are headed. I, I really do. I try to avoid it and I try not to go down that rabbit hole too much, people, because it's kind of a bummer. But um, I don't know. I don't see. Maybe Twitter doesn't help, but just conversations and just people. Um, they we can't have like these kind of conversations that you and I are having, and even where we differ and stuff like that, like. It, it's fine. It's called being an adult and being respectful and listening to different perspectives. And that's good. It's healthy. It used to yeah. be a lot more common, but I was at dinner, um, a few nights ago and minding my own business. I had earbuds in, I was literally reading Politico and taking notes on something. And someone tapped me on the shoulder sitting next to me and asked me about what I was reading, asked me a bunch of political questions. I answered, um, respectfully and his wife is like trying to pull him back and he just <laughs> progressively gets angrier and angry at my answers and I was like you're asking me and I'm I, I like what is happening here why are his it was almost just like a Rush Limbaugh angry caller just getting more angry as the conversation went on but it was like he was arguing with himself I'm not retorting with any sort of vitriol or like raising my voice anything like that and his wife is just so embarrassed like that's the other thing i bet you this is happening a lot more where the wife is like trying to pull their angry husband back and like he's just gone full just crazy person and i i couldn't believe it where i was just like what is happening people like where are we going this is scary are you you ready for a super long edition of your podcast yeah because i've got no place to go and a ton of thoughts oh yeah absolutely okay all right so first thing is um yeah, as that guy, first of all, in those circumstances, you're fully entitled to say, with all due respect, F off, because, True. I, you know, like, go, go sit to the, at your table. It, it says a great deal about you in, in a good way that, that you did not immediately brush him off and tell him to, you know, go take a long walk off a short pier. Um, but so the first thing that comes to mind is how much in our era our political views have become our identity. Yeah. And it's how people see themselves and define themselves. And I, you know, this is a terribly toxic trend in our culture. I, I, I my, agree. Yeah. One of, 
my my grand theories of the entire world. So you know, people who did the math on the when Jim started watching the Jets. I was born in 1975. Mm. I just turned 45, which is kind of frightening to me. <laughs> but anyway, so I grew up. You know, I'm, I'm shaped by growing up in the Reagan presidency. This ideal, right? This perfect president. George H. W. Bush is fine. And then in 1992, MTV launches this thing called Rock the Vote. And it features Madonna in her full sexy getup with a riding crop or something saying, if you don't vote, you're going to get a spanking. And Rock the Vote was this, you know, among these other efforts was this idea that voting and being interested in politics should be cool. Now, having been a teenager in in the 80s and early 90s, it was not cool. It was not supposed to be cool. Politics and government is not cool. It's not yes. fun. It's not, a, you know, like it can be entertaining. It can be fun. But ultimately, its purpose is not to entertain you. Politics and government is what are we going, what rules are we going to live by? How do we want, you know, what do we want government to do? And what do we want government not to do? And the moment politics started becoming cool, people started getting into it. Not just because, well, my town is contemplating raising property taxes. I guess I'd better be, you know, go down to the town council meeting and let everybody see what I think. It turned into celebrities. It turned into this exciting, you know, very similar to, to marketing of a product. And it turned, I think, I suspect almost into like sports talk radio. Yeah. Of Yankees, Red Sox. I root for my guys. I oppose your guys. You know, my guys rock. Your guys suck. And that, you know, which ironically, considering the way we've, <laughs> the topics we talked about today, but it, it kind of became this sense of identity to people, which mm-hmm. then started squeezing out their religious identity, their familial identity, all these other ways that they thought of themselves. All of a sudden, are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? Are you a conservative? Are you a liberal? Became how people saw themselves, what their purpose in life was. And anybody else who disagreed, I mean, you could have two people in a church who saw them, one saw himself as a self-identified political conservative, and the other one seeing themselves as a political liberal. But they could say, well, we both go to the same church, we both want to, you know, volunteer in the soup kitchen or something. Now so, they go to different churches. Drive. Yeah, exactly. Now it's like, you know, I, I couldn't work with that person. Because, no. you know, they clearly, clearly they are apostate in more ways than one, so. I mean, how insane is that, for a second? Just like, that there is a... <laughs> church like just the exact messaging of what jesus said to actually have a liberal church or have people who are like "Mm, can't go there there's too many blue leaning people over there and you're like what have you missed the entire point of why you're even going what are we doing i was gonna say i am always been of this this philosophy and again i mean people have noticed i don't write a lot about religion um partially Mm. because national review has really bright and wonderful people like Catherine Jean Lopez who write about religion and really know what they're talking about compared to me. I was going to say, that's um, why I would probably never go down that subject. That is, I would be terrified of writing something like that and coming off completely yeah. ignorant and just really, really botching it. That's a, that's yeah. a subject matter that I have no interest in talking about. Yeah. So I, I, I pass it. My general sense is that, you know, being, being a good Christian is hard. Mm-hmm. And if I think just being a good person is hard. Yeah. You know, a, a, a very accurate statement there. Um, and so if you find it easy, you're probably misreading it, <laughs> you know, because being mm-hmm. a good Christian, you, know, you can't just vote a certain way right? and then say, well, I've become a good Christian. <laughs> and the flip side of that is, and I think you're right, this idea of a good person, I think, I, I think there's an enormous number of people, probably a bit more on the left, but it certainly is not unheard of on the right, that people who walk around with this idea of, I am an environmentalist, I, am, I believe in women's rights, I believe in a right to choose, I believe in... Uh, I believe in global warming, so I don't deny science. You know, I'll, I'll, they walk around with this, and they believe I am a good person because of what I believe. Ergo, I don't need to treat people well. Yeah. And thus, you have all these humanitarians who hate human beings. You know, <laughs> these, these people who um, are really convinced that they're on the side of the angels, and yet they run around treating you know, feminists who have Me Too issues, uh, socialists with three houses. We can go down the list. I mean, know, there's nothing wrong with it either. Have... Like, it, we all have our own thing. Like, that's another part of it mm-hmm. is that like you all have a different reason for voting or for like there's certain issues that are more important to one person than it is for others and that's that's okay and that is okay that you like that goes back to the the broader point of like everybody wants i think the best for all of us we just have different ways of going about it and i it's just not like one of those things where you just check it off and then you're done it's like no you that's not all you do you can 
be a big supporter of global like of just handling climate change and doing what you can to um, reduce your carbon footprint all those things are great however that doesn't mean you then just turn around and just spit at some conservative (laughs) because you don't or or harangue somebody at the next table right you can't do that but that's (laughs) a lot of people that i've met on both sides who do that where they are just see themselves as this loving endearing person and i'm like you are awful to people online every day every day it, it doesn't work like that just because you check the box at the voting bot that you're sudden you're done conscience is clean good to go and again you know social media has been a big step in this process yeah it's been a very bad step in this process i, I just point out that you know, like i write online i write for the internet every almost every every weekday you know and i make my living on it so mm. recognizing the internet you know has enabled us to have unbelievable levels of communication it also let us see, particularly with the power of you know anonymity, what people really think right. when they don't when they aren't held for consequence. If you stood up in the middle of an office or a classroom and you just suddenly blurted out every thought that came through <laughs> your head, you'd, you'd run into trouble. Right? Well, you know? I did. I, I actually, um, the Jim, I got to tell you, um, when I was in seventh grade, uh, this was not a great day for me, especially when Dad got home from this meeting. Um, I. Uh, got in trouble for lacking a filter in the seventh grade gym and uh distracting students and distracting the teacher because i would uh uh ask questions and just uh say what was ever on my mind at that point so i've gotten a lot better but uh i definitely but suffered you that. learn right mm-hmm. you have this you get this disincentive right all you get that you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna call your father you know that kind of you know um I think it was a couple of years ago i think john Pedoritz had had written something that had you know rubbed a bunch of people the wrong way and a whole bunch of people responded to him on Twitter with some some variation of "I hope you die." Yeah, um, you know, and it was one of those things where I said, "Just imagine being at some party, and two people are chatting, and two friends, and one person turns to the other and says, "I hope you die.'" <laughs> yeah, like you just kind of <laughs> picture the music stopping, the, the room yeah. going silent, like people are like, and everybody would react with their facial expression and their body language and all these other indicators of. How could you say that? What's wrong with you? It's right. a terrible thing. You know, whatever disagreement you have with this person, there's nothing that justifies, I hope you die. Now, by the way, interestingly, if the person said, yeah, I think, I think the Nazis had some strong arguments, then you might, oh, maybe, okay, maybe you do have reason right. to feel that angry about somebody. But by and large... But those aren't the conversations people, we're having where those responses yeah, are being yeah. thrown out. Yeah. And yet online, and I think most people, if they've ever done something like they've had that kind of like just vehement, you know, uh, furious response to someone. They've realized how much they've hurt the person they, they you know, made that accusation mm-hmm. to, or they've seen other people say, you know, dude, what's wrong with you? And they, they have that kind of, that, that social disapproval of it spurs them to say, okay, I gotta, I gotta change how I express that. I can't, you know, just, just vent my spleen the first time I see something that makes me angry. Do you still Online, read the comments you don't have on that. your stories? Yeah. I'm sorry? Do you still read the comments on your stories? Every now and then, I usually regret it. You know, mm, yeah. <laughs> you know that, uh, there's never been yeah, a yeah, point in time where reading the comments, you were like, "Wow, that what a great use of my time." What a let's go, yeah, let's no, go get ice cream. Yeah. What a day. I mean, the the two things that jump to mind again. So the first thing is, is that and and you know, there's nothing worse than well, okay, there, there are things, there are lots of things that are worse. Look, I'm, I'm guilty of my own hyperbole here, but you write something you think is you know really well researched, well laid out. You think you've anticipated every counter argument. And some Twitter egg account, meaning it does not have a, you know, a, a person who claims to have two PhDs, and he's a former Navy SEAL, and he is 6'2", and he did some, you know, the idea that anonymity allows people to be who pretend to be whoever they want to be, mm-hmm. right? And they kind of, you know, you, you, they, they, you basically turn themselves into whatever expert they have to be to refute what you've put out there. And unfortunately, there's, you know... There are some people who would say, yeah, 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 you know, you're a, you know, if you're, if you got your three PhDs, let's, you know, you know, let, let's see who you really are. Um, but, you know, anonymity, somebody said, observe that an, being anonymous and giving people an audience give, brings out the, arguably their worst self or gives them an opportunity to express sides of themselves they never would. Uh, and that comes out in everything from, you know, sexual harassment to uh, hate speech to, um, extremist ideologies to just, just overall general nastiness because, because they're anonymous, there's no consequence. And because there's an audience, they get to show this part of themselves. And my suspicion is that, you know, well-adjusted people kind of try to keep in check. So. Yeah. I, 
I was telling a friend the other day where like I have I have some friends in my life who their job or their lives don't require social media. So they're just not a part of it. Like that's just not in their world. So they're not checking their phone. They're not getting updates. They're not everything about their like my whole life is built around social media now. And if I want to do this career, I have to be on social media for the rest of my life. And that is a very um, daunting task. And that is a very um, depressing thought that I think about. And I was telling him, I was like, I'm trapped. Like I'm trapped in this cesspool of just awfulness and I'll never escape it because this is what I want to do with my life. It's a, it's a very unfortunate catch 22. I, okay, I'm going to give you encouraging words that may or may not be accurate. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that, uh, well, first of all, I, I do, as I mentioned, this idea that we've had this rising blurring of the lines between politics and entertainment mm. and how bad it's been. For the first three years of Trump's presidency, I was like, you know, at some point, something's going to come along, you know, something like a 9-11, some sort of event is going to happen that is going to remind us that actually, you no know, politics and government are there for, are not there to entertain us. And that what really matters is what government does, mm-hmm. and you know, for for good and for ill. Well, global pandemic <laughs> with a hundred and what are we up to? Hundred and fifty some now? A thousand? Hundred fifty thousand yeah. dead now? You know, you think horrible. that would it would yeah. check the box? I don't know if there's going to be this grand this grand reevaluation of um, in the American electorate of what they want and what they believe in. I would I would note though that everybody who tried to do Trump shtick who isn't Trump hasn't succeeded. The way to um, succeed is literally not engaged. It brings it back to the Biden thing where it's like the, how yeah. he's winning is just not engaging. Cause when you engage, he brings you to his level and no one can yeah. do his level of just cesspool nonsense yeah. like Trump can. So you'll say, never come you know, out looking better by engaging. People wonder, you know, Oh, you know, is the, you know, the next big, you know, big political mover and shaker going to be like, like Trump. I think it was Liz Mayer determined that Donald Trump began running for president with something like 99% name recognition. Mm. And I think she said Hillary Clinton, like the same poll, had it like 98%. (laughs) So Donald Trump was one of the few people, you know. So he was the only person running. I was was a big Bobby Jindal fan uh, back in the ancient days, BT. That is a name we have not heard Um, in a long time. Yeah. yeah, My suspicion you won't hear him for a long time again (laughs) either. But... uh, yeah, but the point being that, like, Trump had this pre effectively spent 30 years of his life building his reputation outside of the political realm, so that when he stepped into the political realm, a whole bunch of people who liked him because of The Apprentice, because of uh, anything for maybe not USFL, but the idea they'd associated him with wealth, success, power. The Apprentice had been edited to make him look like this authoritative and decisive manager who held people accountable. And when they did a bad job, he fired them. Right now, compare that to the, in the Obama years, where you've got uh, healthcare.gov not working, and Fast and Furious, and treatment of Veterans Affairs, and the hack at the Office of Personnel Management. Right, Barack Obama never held anybody accountable, or at least that's how a lot of Americans saw it. He was always the guy who was willing to cut people slack and forgive them. And along comes the guy who's famous for firing people who screw up. Like, I was not a Trump fan, but I could see why people looked at him and said, ah, that's what we need. I don't think he's been that. I think he's actually been, you know, quite, uh, quite far from that. But I think that's an element of, of what was going on here. And instead of recognizing, well, actually, no, when he's on The Apprentice, he's playing a character on television. Right. This is not actually how he's managed his businesses. In fact, he manages his businesses in kind of a chaotic way. And I think he thinks he's well, playing a character as president, too, right? Like, he sees himself as like a, a character actor there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, again, and it's a... The idea, being able to separate this idea of politics as a show, of, of government being a form of entertainment that you tune in and watch to see whether your team is winning or whether your team is losing, and instead saying, "Well, what's what's going on today? You know, how 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 are we doing in terms of battling the uh, uh, coronavirus? How are we doing in terms of reopening businesses and getting people back to work? How you know? I'd like to think that at some point, reality here's the thing: reality gets a vote." And I, this is eventually, I was supposed to give you something encouraging about your career. And I mm, yeah, we went back to me. dark things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the recognition that in the end, I don't know how many people are going to get famous because of a Facebook post or because of a tweet or because of yeah. a Instagram or a TikTok, a TikTok video if those things are still legal a month from now. You know? yeah. <laughs> 
that's the pressing you, issue of the day. Just what, yeah. what are we doing? I, I I was so mad. I was reading about that this morning. I'm like, I don't care. Why am I doing? What, what, uh, why is this part of today? Today, I can't do this this morning. No. Um, yeah, the, and the idea being that you know what will build your reputation. Well, if you are a uh, rigorous thinker and you make good arguments and you think things through and you bring something new to the table, it will shine through. It's not always going to be easy. Um, you know, some other podcasts I could tell you all about the you know long and stumbling path I took to get to National Review and all that stuff. But, you know, in the end, very few people do really, really good work and never get recognized for it. Many people do really good work and probably don't get the recognition they deserve. But, you know, if you're, if you're famous, you know, also the other thing is you can't build a career on a social media gimmick. Mm. I think like, you know, uh, Joe the Plumber. Well, the shots fired at right? I mean, like, Yeah. Politics has a lot of people who, who come along and they have a shtick and, it's hot for a while, and then you know, in a couple of years, people get tired of the shtick. So that's that's my that, that was encouraging. I hope. Yeah, I think. Yeah, just head down, do good work. Don't be a Twitter troll. Don't be god awful to people online. Um, yeah, just uh, do do the best you can and see the chips fall where they may. That's uh, I think yeah. that's a positive way of going about it. Do I necessarily believe it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I do not know. Um, well, Jim, this has been great. I appreciate uh, the time. Is there anything that you uh, would like for us to check out this week from you? Uh, this coming week, uh, it'll just all probably be at, you know, at, at nationalreview.com. I'm on Twitter, much to my regret, at mm. Jim Garrity. Um, I may have book news in the not-too-distant future. I'm just going to be cryptic about that, but uh, that'll be uh, uh, you know, good news if and when I can make that uh, official. Um, beyond that, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I do the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus every weekday. I have a pop culture podcast with Mickey White that we haven't taped in a while. We hopefully we'll get together and be able to tape soon. And uh, that's what I do with my time when I'm not, you know, avoiding people and the coronavirus. There you go. Um, stay safe, sir. Thank you for the time. And uh, maybe we'll do this again soon. I look forward to it. Thank you. It's been a fun chat. Thank you. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. Goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late. And that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash KeepStock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.